at the intersection of mental health and parenting, that's where you'll find me. I'm Joni Edelman, and this is Mama Mental, the podcast that explores what it's like to raise human beings while you're still trying to figure out how to be one. fellow mentals. Welcome to another episode of Joni Freezing in the Basement. Last week on Joni Freezing in the Basement, we talked about bipolar disorder, type 2, my personal experience with hypomania. I said that the next thing that we addressed would be depression, and we'll get to that. We will. I was going to do that today, but uh, it's on my heart, if you will, to talk about something else, something that's impacting me personally right now, something that impacts me a lot of the time and that is so intertwined with the experience of mania or hypomania, and that is guilt. Guilt is a powerful motivator. If you listened to the episode about being the child of an alcoholic, you know that guilt is a very common part of that experience. The reason for that is because, well, there's a number of reasons, but I think one of them is that these people who were raised by addicts feel fundamentally sort of broken, um, unworthy, unlovable. We spend a lot of time caregiving, gatekeeping, problem solving. And then when we grow up, we have a very difficult time allowing ourselves to have anything because we don't really feel deserving of it. So take all of that, all of that emotional baggage and just transfer it onto someone who on top of already feeling unworthy, unlovable, makes a big mistake. And in hypomania, there are big mistakes to be made. Some of them might include financial ruin, or at the very least, an uncontrolled spending, maxing out of credit cards. There's the sexually risky, deviant, uh, dishonest behavior, which can encompass everything from online flirtations to full-fledged affairs to hiring a, a escort or sex worker and everything in between. And there are any number of other things you might do while you're in this state. Some of the things could be framed as good, of course. But as I said in the last episode, there's a tipping point 
almost always for me, where that sort of divine energy that feels so great turns into something very dangerous. In 2009, during my last episode, a serious episode of hypomania, I've had some since then, but they've been smaller and eventually medicated. But during that particular episode, I left my husband. I didn't just leave my husband. I left my husband and I left behind my children. This is humiliating for me to talk about. Truly, truly, deeply humiliating. And some of you, many of you, have reached out and told me that you see yourselves in that story. And I appreciate that. And that's why I, I do this, right? That's why, I'm, that's why I'm doing it. It's not because I like the sound of my own voice, because let me tell you, after editing myself, oh my God, am I the most irritating. <laughs> do I have the most irritating voice. So I appreciate those of you who have reached out and said I hear myself, but I also know that there are many people who listen to this maybe by accident, maybe someone sent it to you, or maybe you found it in search of information. But I know that there are many people who might hear this and think to themselves, what an absolute idiot. And I have thought this about my own mother before I experienced and even after I experienced my first typomanic episode, because I justified my behavior in a number of ways, either as a response to trauma that had happened or as a, an outlet for a, an, a bad or unhappy marriage. But I, I really resented my mom for her ability to walk away so easily. In 1979, she left me with my grandmother. And when I came home, she had divorced my father. She was married to someone else. I was gone for the summer. I came back to a different house. And things like that happened again and again with her. And in 1993, she left my sister's father. She left my sister with me and him and my fiance, and she ran off with another man. And I was furious that she would treat my sister like she was disposable. And then in 2009, I did virtually the same thing. And it's really easy when you're outside of this disease process to look at a behavior and think, well, she's a terrible person or he's a he's a terrible person but it's much different to be inside of it and to have to face the mistakes that you've made and to 
correct them if you're able, or at the very least to be able to apologize, acknowledge who you've hurt, and tell them that you're sorry without making your illness the scapegoat. And while being cognizant that the illness was the major contributing factor. So in 2009, when I decided that my marriage was over, I was in a hypomanic state. And I told my husband that I wanted a divorce. And he told me he did not. And he told me that if I did want a divorce, I was going to have to leave. So that's what I did. We worked out how we would handle custody of the kids. And I packed an overnight bag. And I went to my grandmother's house. My kids were big into perler beads at that time. Perler beads are these little... Uh, beads that you make a design with and then you iron them together and we had been making them over summer break and Kelsey had made a little soccer player little boy and she handed him to me before I left and told me that he could keep me company And he sat in the bottom of that overnight bag until about two years ago when one day I pulled it down. I had continued to use it because it was a steady, sturdy overnight bag. It was black and it had cherries on it and it was very uh, popular, you know, in the, in the early mid-2000s when cherries were a big thing. But it was a nice bag, regardless, and when I left the marriage, I didn't take any luggage except for that piece, so I would use that bag over and over and over again, and every time I opened it to put my clothing in it or whatever I was taking, I would see that little perler bead guy in the bottom, and I would, I would relive it all. I wrote an article about it at one point, an essay about all that that small artifact stood for. And so one day, a couple of years ago, when I pulled it down to go on a trip somewhere, I told Kelsey the story. Kelsey's my 23-year-old daughter, who appears in the second episode. But I, I told her the story, and she just looked at me very puzzled. I told her how this bag was such a source of torment, how badly I felt every time I took it down, how much I regretted hurting her and her brothers and her father. And she said to me, why don't you throw it away? Why don't you just throw it away? And I'll tell you, I never thought to throw it away. Not just because it was a good bag, because it was a good bag. Not just because it was of a useful size, um, perfect on longer trips for holding cosmetics, your blow dryer, pairs of shoes, 
big enough uh, for a weekend trip. No, I kept it because it was a punishment. It was a sort of punishment for me to pull it down, to relive the mistakes that I had made anytime I was ready to go anywhere. And not coincidentally, oftentimes those places would be places of enjoyment or rest or relaxation or rejuvenation. I pull this bag down. I'd see the little boy inside. And regardless of the number of trips that the bag had been on with me, the little boy would remind me of what I had done. Of the mistakes that I had made. Of the lives that I had ruined. And that I had left in ruin. And I threw it away. I threw it away that day, but I haven't stopped thinking about it. And I haven't stopped thinking about how I kept that bag for so long, not because anyone else thought I needed punishment, not because anyone else told me that I needed a reminder of the many mistakes that I had made, but because that was what I truly believed. Not just that I had made these mistakes, not just that I had done these terrible things, but that I deserved to be punished for it over and over. And that like any person who's made these kind of mistakes, I deserved it. Mama Mental is brought to you by Ravishly.com, your source for feelings, family, and feminism. So, I threw it away. And I tell you this story not to garner your pity, but to illustrate a point. And that point is this. I walked out on my family. I walked away from a 16-year marriage. I walked away from someone I had been with for 20 years. More than half of my life. And then I got an apartment and I started a relationship immediately with another man. And he moved in with me. And then I got pregnant. And then we got married. And then I had the baby. And then nine months later, I got pregnant again. And even though by this time, the mania itself had been replaced by postpartum depression, all of those poor decisions were staring me in the face. And how do you reconcile that? How do you look at your family that you've created, these two babies and a man that you love, and then the three children whose hearts you crushed, 
And how do, how do you feel good about that? How can you feel ever like you're a good person? And that's a really complicated answer. There are people who make bad choices and within those bad choices, they, they do things to hurt other people and they never apologize for it. They never feel bad for it because they're just living their lives, which is sort of the way my mom handled it. This is my life. I don't owe you an explanation. I can do what I want. I'm an adult. But I suspect a lot more of us do eventually have to reconcile and do eventually have to face the damage. So the way that I faced it was that I did everything that I could that I thought would make him feel better. I agreed to not get an attorney when we got divorced. I agreed to not fight him for time with the kids. We would just split it. I agreed to give him the house. I agreed to take the debt. Uh, I did all of these things thinking that they would make up for the bad thing I had done. And I remember sitting in the office of an attorney that was recommended to me one who I decided not to employ, and I just paid for a consultation, a, a one-hour consultation. And I remember him looking at me and saying, you've been with this man your whole life. You are entitled to the equity in your home. You are entitled to his retirement. You are entitled to half of everything that you have. And you are entitled to give him half of everything that you owe you know, half of those bills. And I said, no, I don't want to. And he said, you're a lunatic. <laughs> you're crazy. And I said, thanks for your time. And I left. And then a few months after that, I was served paperwork for my, my divorce. And I accepted my, my punishment. And I continued to accept that punishment and to say it, it didn't matter because this was the this was the thing I could do I could make it right by taking responsibility for my actions and I was very careful never to blame him in any means for the dissolution of the marriage I was very careful to take responsibility for everything that happened and then at some point, someone said to me, you know, nothing is ever all one person's fault. It doesn't work that way. And you're not responsible for everyone's feelings, even when you do make mistakes. People are fallible. And I'm still, it's been almost 10 years, and that's an extraordinary amount of time. Really. 10 years is, is more than half of the length of my first marriage. And I still struggle. I still struggle. Not infrequently. With 
feeling like I deserve anything. And I struggle even as I'm recording this episode and even as I'm telling you this. But because so much of my writing and speaking and conversations that I have are not just for the people I'm having them with, but also for myself. Because talking about the truth helps me to manifest it as well. And the truth is people are fallible. Whether you are mentally ill or completely neurotypical, which is to say that your brain is quote unquote normal, people make mistakes. They make them all the time. Sometimes they're small mistakes. You overdraw your checking account by several thousand dollars. You know, you uh, forget to pay your car registration. You run into a pole with your car. All things I've done. And sometimes they're big mistakes. You end a marriage that maybe would have ended anyway, but could have ended in a much better way. You, you hurt your children or you hurt other people that you love in the process. And then what? You're left with the rubble and the rebuilding, not only of the thing that you have broken, but also of yourself. You're left with trying to accept the things that you've done while also extending yourself the grace that you would extend another person in a similar circumstance. But you cannot be to blame for everything. And you cannot be responsible for everything. And at some point, for the sake of yourself and the people around you, you have to forgive yourself the way you would forgive your child. Which is not to say that the action is forgotten because it's a reminder. The things that I did during that time are still vivid enough to me that this is why I, I take medication. This is why I take it. I do not like the loss of my mania and my creative energy, but I know what is possible without it. And I simply know that this person that I am now, the medicated, treated version of myself, is a person who would not do those things. So that's one way that I take responsibility for the future. And then for the past, what is there to do when you've broken someone's heart? What is there to do when that broken heart breaks yours? Because the end of my marriage hurt my ex-husband and he's a grown-up. He had his role to play. He can survive, you know, but it hurt my children too. 
And that's a truth I have to live with. In that episode that Kelsey was on, she said, sorry goes a long way. And I believe that's true. And I have apologized. I have apologized probably too many times, if that's a thing. Because there, there is a point at which the apology has been said. And then life needs to move on. But of course, it's always much more difficult to forgive yourself even than it is for other people to forgive you. I doubt that my children ever sit around thinking about how much I hurt them as much as I think about how much I hurt them. And I would love to be able to just say, well, this is all my mental illness's fault. And if it weren't for that, everything would be fine. This wouldn't have happened. But that's, you can't do that. I mean, you can, and people try. And sometimes it really is your mental, you know, sometimes if you're psychotic, you're going to do things you, you can't stop. But even if I couldn't stop myself in those moments of decision making, even if I was sort of powerless over what my brain thought was a good idea, I still am a, a human being and I still do have free will. And the, the thing that I chose with my free will was maybe a really bad choice, but I could have chosen something else. And so what do you do with all of that? Where do, you, where do you take all of that energy? Where do you put it? Hopefully, you can forgive yourself. Hopefully, with time and distance, you can acknowledge that you still, despite the mistakes you have made, are deserving of love, of happiness, of joy, of security. And I think for many years, I felt as if I didn't deserve those things. If I had taken those things from someone else and from my children, why should I get to ever have them? But who does that serve? Are my children's lives made better by my own suffering? Do my children know the number of hours I lay awake worrying about how I can make it up to them? No. Do I have to give them everything that's in my power to give them to undo the mistakes that I've made? Is that a reasonable expectation for any human being? What you're left with is the responsibility to take responsibility for the thing that you've done to acknowledge that you did it, to fix what you can that is broken, pay off your bills, whatever. And then to say genuinely and with your whole heart, I am so sorry that I hurt you. 
period. No follow-up, no but, no if, no qualifier, just I'm sorry. And then the people who you are saying I'm sorry to can take that apology and they can do with it what they will. They can forgive you and move past it. Or they can decide that you haven't earned forgiveness. That's their right. Right? That's their choice. What you can hope for is that your being humble will eventually mean that they will forgive you and come back to you. And you can be present and you can try and you can continue in your efforts to be a good parent in this case. And if they have, if they haven't been able to forgive you and they need their space, then you can give it to them. And you can wait. And in the meantime, you can do what you can to be healthy. You can get your therapy. You can get your diagnosis if you don't have one. You can take your meds faithfully. And you can wait, but you cannot control how they're going to feel. And feeling terrible is not going to fix the problem. Continuing to berate yourself for the mistakes you've made isn't going to make them forgive you any quicker. And then when you've done all that, you have to forgive yourself. You have to look the person who made those mistakes in the eye and you have to tell her, I know that you made these mistakes. I know that you hurt your family, your children, your partner. And I know that you feel badly that you did that. And I know that you are doing your best to repair that damage. And now it's time for you to turn inward to repair that damage in yourself because you still are a human being worthy of love and you still are a human being worthy of affection. And you still deserve all of the things in life that everyone else has. You did not void your contract as a human being by making a mistake. You made a mistake. And now you have to pick yourself up and you have to keep going. Thanks for listening.
listening to Mama Mental. And while I am a registered nurse, nothing that I say in this podcast should be interpreted as medical advice. Please speak to your own healthcare provider, and if you are feeling suicidal, call the suicide helpline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255.